Well, what's the one thing that means the most to you? What is your one big dream? Solomon asked his son about that. It's pretty much what Proverbs is written for, to help elevate one thing in his son's life. And he asked his son, what's the one thing that you desire most in your life? And his hope is that he will respond with the word wisdom. Now, I've been a dad long enough to know that never have I asked my son, tell me one thing you want that wisdom would ever come out of their mouth. Seriously, Solomon, like you're really thinking that your son is going to say wisdom is the greatest pursuit in life? I don't know about you, but about this time when I was a kid, maybe a few weeks earlier, there would come into the mail a Sears and Roebuck catalog. And my siblings and I would just dive into that catalog and we would create a this is what I want list. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, now my kids don't do that. They just email me or text message hyperlinks directly to Amazon. <laughs> and dad just put it in the cart and uh, you can pay for it from there. That's a pretty easy way to do things. We live in a culture, don't we, that just is insistent upon us having our desires pushing for more want and more desires in our life I was just doing a little perusing on the internet which can get you in trouble by the way but I came across I was looking for bucket list and I came across this site called bucketlist.net now I can tell you there are no social scientists that work for bucketlist.net I don't think this is very scientific but at any rate I thought it was pretty interesting that over 5,000 people were involved in this survey and here's the top 10 list on bucket list for people in the U.S. number one they want to see the northern lights and I think that's a kind of cool bucket list item I'd like to see the northern lights as well number two they want to go skydiving Yep, not interested in that. I like to be on the ground or be in the air to go somewhere, not to go directly down. Number three, get a tattoo. Uh, we'll just leave that as it is. Some of you have already checked that one off your bucket list. Number four, go on a cruise, and I'm all for that. But number five is what really tweaks me out. It's I want to go swimming with dolphins, and that's the point when I was reading the list that I thought every 13-year-old girl must be taking this survey. Go swim with dolphins. But what was really intriguing is number six, get married, is on the bucket list. And I think what's intriguing about that is somebody made a decision do I go swimming with dolphins or do I get married? I'm not sure which one I want to do. Number seven, go scuba diving. Number eight is run a marathon, only if you like misery. Number nine, go zip lining. And the all-important number 10, buy a house. So here's what's intriguing. Uh, do we buy a house or do we go get a tattoo? Do we use a down payment for the house or the tattoo? Or do we uh, go zip lining and swim with dolphins or what, whatever we're going to do? I don't know. Here's, here's the big thing. Our culture presses us to have more, go more, do more, and be more. Proverbs 3 the middle to the end of Proverbs 3 helps us to see what we ought to lift to the very top of our desires. It's not that the desires to go swimming with dolphins are bad. Proverbs 3 says, make wisdom the number one. You can swim with dolphins. You can go skydiving. You can do a lot of that stuff. But make wisdom 
number one. So let's go to Proverbs chapter three. Uh, I'm going to begin today in focusing on verse 19, but our section that we're reading today actually starts in verse 13, and I'm going to circle back to that if, if you will just allow me to do that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 13 says this blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding so that's where this section of scripture is going to this is reminiscent of Jesus's great sermon on the mountain the beatitudes passage where he says blessed are these people and he gives a whole list of those that word can be translated just as easily happy are these people in the same context we can say happy are the people in chapter 3 verse 13 happy are the people who find wisdom and the ones who get understanding they are they have a blessed life so that's where he's going but I'd like to jump down and begin in verse 19 and just point out some of the great uh, attributes of having wisdom and just work through those passages then we'll circle back to verse 13 and the first is this why is wisdom so highly desired it's because wisdom is understanding the way of life as God has meant it to be as disclosed in creation a succinct way to say that is wisdom understands the way of life according to creation and look what he says in verse 19 of the third chapter of Proverbs the Lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens by his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down their dew now within those couple of verses solomon is recognizing the inexhaustible wisdom of god that is required throughout creation can you imagine the creation wisdom the measure of it that god uses while he's bringing all things about now he's saying that this wisdom is just extravagant isn't it it, it is beyond what we can comprehend and in just those two verses he is recognizing that now if you and i think about this there's a vastness of creation that tells us of the wisdom of god so we have a hard time reaching into the vastness of the universe but with a couple of telescopes over the last 20 years or so we're really being, being able to reach into it one that has been affording scientists a lot of different looks is the hubble and Hubble is going out and as it's going out further and further from earth it is recognizing the universe is way more vast than we thought and so when you get a scope of a billion or more galaxies in the universe when you get a scope and a measure of that you have to come to conclusion the wise one is the creator the one who sustains this cosmic order is a wise created creator a wise sustainer but it's not just the vastness that causes us to recognize in creation the wisdom of God it's the minute as well the very small spaces and the more scientists are able to dive down into the smaller elements the smaller components of earth we find more and more wisdom as we're doing that for instance did you know a teaspoon of healthy soil just go out somewhere in the woods scoop up a teaspoon of healthy soil did you know there are as many living organisms in that teaspoon of soil of soil as there are people in all of europe and the u.s it's almost a billion living organisms in a teaspoon of healthy soil 
the wisdom of God is evident in this very small detail. You go out to the ocean and you scoop up a teaspoon of seawater and you have 100 million viruses, 10 million bacteria, 5,000 microalgae, and 3,000 single-cell animals. I mean, the great wonders of the sea, if you're into that, which I'm into that some, the great wonders of the sea is not necessarily the large animals that are in there, but the little thing that you can't see called plankton. And if you break plankton down, you know that it has uh, bacterial plankton, which is all the single cell organisms that make it up, and phytoplankton, which is the, the uh, plant life that really provides for the world half of its oxygen just in something that you and I can't see. It becomes the foundational food source for all living things in the ocean. And that which is fed on is zooplankton, all those little smaller than a diameter of your hair, living things that grow sometimes into very large things that become the food for a billion plus people in the world. It's an amazing scope, isn't it? The small and the wisdom and the rhythm and the vastness all put together by the Creator. Without plankton, the marine infrastructure would collapse, and as the oceans would collapse into a barren, watery wasteland, all of creation would collapse. In the wisdom of God, he has created earth and the heavens. In the wisdom of God, he opened the earth so that the waters would come. In the wisdom of God, he brought dew from the clouds. In the wisdom of God, he created all things in rhythm. Romans 11 communicates about the wonder of that kind of wisdom, saying, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable, inscrutable his ways. Can't quite figure it all out, he's saying. Now, through viewing creation, we can see God's wisdom. But the passage actually goes a little further than that. It's saying that with wisdom it being so evident in God, we should live our life in the rhythms that God has established in creation. In fact, he would go on to say in Romans chapter 1 that there is not a single person with excuse for not knowing there is a God. For God has made it evident in creation that there is a wise creator and he is that one. But we can learn from this ordered creation. Proverbs tells us that as well. Over in Proverbs chapter 30, it says this, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. So here's four things that you might overlook. But in God's rhythm and wisdom, he has established them to help us to know him and to know wisdom. You can, you can model after these four insignificant animals, and you can live with wisdom. The ant are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. So what is he saying here? Wisdom is greater than strength. Wisdom is greater than might. Wisdom is what ought to be sought as the highest. And of course, ultimately, wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. He is wisdom in full. But look at these four little animals he's mentioned to us. These four critters. 
One is the ant. Uh, my wife hates with passion ants. I try to help her rethink that a little bit, remind her that ants clean up everything that is needing to be cleaned up. Uh, unfortunately, we just had to put our dog down a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and long before that, she was always been just a messy eater. And she would take food, and as she's eating it, she would scatter it all around her bowl. And I'd go out there, Chloe, you're, you're dropping half of it, baby. Come on, pick that up and eat it. And sometimes if she was hungry enough, she might even eat it off around the concrete out there. But inevitably, the ants would come marching, and they would just consume that, and it would drive my wife crazy. But I'm thinking, just give it a couple of hours, and I don't even have to get the broom out. <laughs> you know, they, they will cart that stuff off, and it will all be good. So what is it, the wisdom that we can learn from that? Because Solomon is saying to us, in God's order, he has created the ant to have wisdom because God's created with wisdom. He's given them wisdom. And what is this wisdom? He says they are small, yet they're not very strong. They provide food in the summer. So he's saying, if you want to learn wisdom, watch the ant and do what the ant does. And what the ant does is when there's plenty, the ant is putting it back because the ant recognizes that there is going to be a time that there will not be plenty in the winter in the earliest of spring even sometimes in the fall there's not plenty for the ant so in the summer they are gatherers now what he's saying to us there in a very practical wise way is saying hey make sure you're storing back make sure you have an emergency fund Make sure your emergency fund is not another $2,000 on your credit limit before you max out on your credit card. He's saying, put it back like that of the ant who is storing when they have plenty. And another is the rock badger. Now, I don't think anybody ever around here has rock badgers, but when you go over to the Middle East in Israel, you can see rock badgers everywhere. There's rocks. But they are a skittish little creature. Maybe it's a coney in your in your Bible translation, but the rock badger has no defensive mechanisms. If you could catch one and open its mouth, you wouldn't see fangs, you wouldn't see big teeth, you wouldn't see big claws. They can't turn around and spray anybody with anything. They're like helpless, defenseless animals, but they have wisdom from God. And the wisdom is, as soon as something comes near them, they run right into the rock. In fact, I've had a couple of groups over there, and me as well. As soon as I see a rock badger, I'm pulling out the iPhone, and I'm wanting to take a picture. And you know what that rock badger does? Every time I turn around to take a picture, it scurries right back into that little hole in the rock. And wisdom says, when you are vulnerable, seek the sanctuary. Seek the sanctuary. So I'm most vulnerable in my life when I'm tired, frustrated, and disappointed so the wisdom of the rock badger says Randy when you're tired frustrated and disappointed you need to seek refuge you need to seek shelter you need to seek the sanctuary of your savior you need to press towards the spirit and not stay out there where you're vulnerable so when are you vulnerable when you're isolated when you're alone during the holidays when you're in despair when you sense depression when you drink alcohol when you go to certain friends house when you hang out with certain people 
When is it that you're vulnerable? And what is the wisdom that God has created in the rock badger? We would say, hey, if you were wise, you'd run to the sanctuary. You'd run to Jesus. You'd run to wisdom. And the third thing that he points out beyond ants and rock badgers are locusts. And these bugs are powerful. They understand the power of cooperation and, and community. And if we're going to learn with wisdom about the locust, then we'll also learn that there is power for us when we are in community together, when we are organized. So you can do some things on your own, sure, and we all should be doing that. But we are more powerful when we are connected together, when we are in community together. You, you are more capable, a Christian, when you are engaged in church worship, in church ministry, and in life group connections. The fourth listed for you there is the lizard. And you don't think much about the lizard, neither do I. If you were wanting to scoop one up, you could actually scoop it up in your hand, but the majority of us don't really want to do that. But they are capable individuals. Though they might be able to be scooped up, they actually make their home anywhere, including a king's palace. So they are resourceful animals. So what he's saying to us is make sure that you are wise. Know creation, know the creator, know an order of creation, and live out that wisdom. Uh, I'm into sustainable agriculture, not that like I'm doing it or anything but I'm into it I'm watching YouTube videos and and all that kind of stuff and and that's a real buzzword if you're a small farmer or even a big farmer sustainable agriculture something that you don't have to put synthetics on constantly you know what they're doing they are looking at creation and how creation is doing it this rhythm that God has placed in creation they may not give him credit for it but they're watching what happens in nature and they're trying to replicate that. Now, that's wisdom. How did God do it? How did God establish it? And how can I bring my life to that rhythm? He's saying, learn from creation. Learn the creator and learn about his creation. Secondly, that alone ought to give us reason to have wisdom as the top of our list, but he gives us another one. He says, wisdom enables you to live well. In verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I think in general what he's saying here is life is better lived when we have and when we exercise wisdom life is just better so if i were just going to reframe that i'd say this that he's saying with wisdom you'll walk securely you won't stumble in life you won't lie down with fear you'll sleep better and you'll have confidence in god's providential care with wisdom all that comes about now we need to recognize this that in the proverbs these are good measure to us right now these are generally true they are the measure of our life today but they will be fully satisfied in heaven in the new heaven and the new earth they are going to be complete in that so last night i didn't sleep very well that did not mean that i was not pursuing wisdom throughout yesterday it just means that i was pretty amped up for having some of the in-laws and a ball game and too much food and all that stuff so generally it's true that I sleep better 
when I am in pursuit of Jesus, there is coming a time of rest in the future, in the new heaven and the new earth, when I'm with Jesus permanently in body. In that moment, there will be perfect rest. You with me? So I stumble now some. I make some mistakes along the way, more than I want to admit. But I'm making fewer mistakes than when I wasn't pursuing wisdom. But there is coming a day that I will be perfect and not stumble. And that'll be a day that I will have a glorified body without any touch of sin. And that will be the day for you as well who are in faith in Jesus Christ. So we're getting this as a general uh, good measure truth today, but it's going to be perfected in the fullness of time. Number three, with wisdom, you will be a blessing and you will be blessed. We're, we're looking at why should wisdom be elevated? Well, because you'll be a blessing and you will be blessed. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due and when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. You know what? I would just, if I had my journal Bible with me, I'd be marking, underlining verse 30, and I'd be making a note out to the side, social media. I don't know why we do this, but we contend with other people on social media as if that verse isn't in the Bible. There are many a person who claim to follow Christ and wisdom who make foolish arguments, arguments that you have no reason even putting out there. You want to see a rise. You want to see if you can stoke something. You want to get an argument going. You want to get some little jostling back and forth. And here's what the Bible says. Do not contend with a man for no reason. But I've got an opinion. Don't contend with a man for no reason. Uh, just because I have an opinion doesn't mean I need to state the opinion. Are, are, are you okay with that? Those are typically the things that people say, I don't like him. <laughs> I can give you a whole lot more reason than that, I'm sure, if you stick around me very long. Verse 31, do not, uh, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. That abomination is a big word. It, it is God detests that. We don't have a word that we use in our vernacular that comes alongside of abomination. But the upright are in his confidence. The Lord curses, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorner he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Now really, that section of scripture we could just, tear down and, and just think about it a long time break it apart and and really think about it a long time but i just want to zoom in on a couple of things number one when we understand that god offers wisdom to us in the person of jesus christ and we humble ourselves when we receive him and his way then we are living in the favor of god and walking in a way that brings honor to him surrendering our life and our will to jesus who is wisdom puts us in right standing with God not because we are standing rightly before him but because by faith he gives that to us as a gift he he makes it so that we can be in right standing with God our sins are forgiven and by his grace he credits his righteousness to us now being a recipient of that kind of love and mercy and grace and wisdom 
is transformative to us but that transformation ought to be demonstrated to other people so this salvation is not just something we receive it is something that we exude as well that's what God is doing he is sanctifying us shaping us more into the image of Jesus shaping our ways to the ways of Jesus shaping our will to the way or the will of Jesus shaping our words to the words of Jesus so when we interact with other people they come to know Jesus because we are interacting with them purposefully with wisdom does that make sense so he's saying let wisdom be the blessing to you and you be the blessing of wisdom to other people if mercy has been given to you then be merciful to other people later Jesus will say as forgiveness has been given to you forgive other people and if you're not going to forgive other people it's because you haven't been forgiven and you're not saved I mean this thing just goes round and round you love because he's first loved so receive his love and share his love receive wisdom and live out wisdom so being a recipient means that you're also a giver of that and that makes us a good neighbor anybody seen the mr rogers film yet i haven't i haven't seen that yet but in the first service i made everybody start to sing something about be my neighbor be my neighbor <laughs> because i'm going to talk about being a good neighbor if we love god we will love our neighbors everybody's wanting to put on some loafers and a sweater right now aren't you <laughs> actually not it's about 103 degrees in here in the same way if we're unwise and not transformed by God then we are not going to be good neighbors so there is a connection with being transformed and having wisdom and being a good neighbor All right, this goes way back to Deuteronomy 6 doesn't it this goes way back even to the Lord's teachings in Mark 12, doesn't it? That we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. So this is something that is received and is something that is demonstrated. So people walking in the wisdom of God love their neighbors by taking care of their community. Now that is individual and it is meant to be in the church as well. Meadowbrook should be good neighbors we attempt to practice that by doing ministry outside the walls of this church yes we should love each other and we are known as disciples of jesus by our love for one another in this room but we are neighborly in the wisdom of god by going out of these walls to the community so every week we feed about 300 people every thursday at way of the cross because we want to be good neighbors loving people loving neighbors and regularly at open hands our benevolent ministry we give hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of food and thousands of articles of clothing and lots and lots of toiletry items and many bibles and many a prayer and many a gospel presentation with people because we are being good neighbors because good neighbors are neighbors who are transformed by christ and we're attempting to be good neighbors in the local schools, the elementary schools like Atala and John Jones and Ura Brown and Strickland because we want to go in and love on children as our neighbors and share with them the gospel, share with them the good news. So good news clubs is what we do. By the way, in your handout, there's a little ad 
that says, hey, if you want to take the next step in one of those three ways to be a good neighbor, here's the contact information. Here's how you can take the next step. If you're not engaged in a good neighbor ministry, then I encourage you to jump into one of those, and we're sharing with you how you can jump in to one of those. Um, by the way, there's a there's an envelope in the seat jacket in front of you. It's the largest in there, I think. It's the Meadowbrook United Appeal Fund um, offering envelope. It is for open hands, which means all the money that is taken in this month that goes in that envelope, every dollar of it goes to buy food and Bibles and uh, toiletry items for people who are really in need in our community. That's being good neighbors. So... What about each of us? Are we the kind of neighbor that our neighbors want us to be and need us to be, being a blessing? All right, those are three reasons why wisdom ought to be sought. But now let's go back real quick. I'm going to wrap it up back in verse 13. Here, those are the reasons why we ought to be pursuing wisdom. Now here's the encouragement to pursue it. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding for the gain from her... He's personified wisdom there. The gain from wisdom is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you can desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is the, a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold fast are called blessed. So because wisdom is the way of creation that enables you and me to live well, it is a source of blessing for us. Because of that, we ought to pursue it as the treasure that it is. Now that truth leads us back to the first question I asked in this message. What's the one thing that you want the most? What's the number one on your list? Let me ask it another way. What's the one thing that you say, if I just had that, I'd be happy? I want to say, uh, Solomon is telling us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you'll be happy if you pursue wisdom above all things. I know that to be true because God's word is true. So why is it that I fall for putting other stuff above wisdom? Why is it that you fall for that? Why is it that we think things like this? You know, if I just had some more money, if I had every need and a good number of the wants in my life satisfied, I would then be happy. Why do I think that way? And why do we think that way when that's not what the Bible says? Why do we think, you know, if we were just popular, then we would be happy? Or if we just had a relationship with that person, then we would be happy. Or here's one that I hear regularly. If I was just healthy, if I just had my health back, then I could be happy. I have been learning from the experience of people around me in ministry that that is not true. I know some people right now that are in desperate situations. I spoke to a couple of them yesterday, one in person, one by phone, and both of them are in really difficult places in their health. But both of those have a closer relationship with God than they've ever had, and they beam with the satisfaction that they have in Christ Jesus. 
I have met person over person who says, hey, I wouldn't wish this sickness on anybody. But as well, I wouldn't trade where I am in my relationship with God for anything. That person has come to a conclusion that wisdom is greater than even health. Now, why is that? Why, why, do we, why does Solomon say that wisdom is better than the silver and the gold, better than the profits and the gains? Why is it that wisdom is better than stuff? Well, wisdom is supreme because its value does not change. So I have this habit every now and then because the stock market has been just climbing over the last while. I have this habit of just going and looking at some accounts that Kay and I have and seeing how they're performing. Now, that's, that's probably not very good when you do that on a regular basis because there's a lot of volatility in the markets, right? So some days it's like, woohoo, and other days you're like, whoa, whoa. Anybody else like that? You see, silver, gold, cash, stuff, equities has this tendency to do this. But wisdom isn't like that. Wisdom holds its value every time. In fact, the more you hold it, the more you exercise it, the greater its value in your life. Because it's not just valuable for you, it's valuable for the people around you. Wisdom is the greatest of value. In fact, if you have wisdom and God entrusts you with more silver, more gold, more gain, more profit, if you have wisdom first, then you'll be able to manage that best. If you don't have wisdom and you have that stuff, then it just might ruin your life. I can't help but go back to the third chapter of 1 Kings when Solomon was beginning his, his public way of life as the king of Israel. and He was in a dream, and God asked him in the dream, what is it that you'll ask of me? You remember his response? He said, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people? Who is able to do this, to lead this country, this nation? And Solomon's response pleased the Lord so much that he explained that since he did not ask for a longer life, he didn't ask for more riches, he didn't ask for his enemy to be defeated, but asked for discernment and understanding that God would give him wisdom and God would give him understanding and then on top of that he would give him all the other stuff too in fact Solomon would become the wealthiest person to ever live now if you're thinking in the comparison that Solomon is belittling that of silver and gold and he's and he's devaluing it that's not what he's doing at all just because he's making the comparison is not saying that he is anti-gain that he is anti-profit Listen, if you're in business, your job is to have profit. You can't keep people employed without profit. Profit is good. It's what makes this whole capital thing work. But when you have wisdom and you have profit, it is great. He's not anti-profit. He's not anti-resource. He's not anti-possession. He just says, put it in order. Seek wisdom above all things. And isn't that a reoccurring theme throughout the Bible? The Lord said it best, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then what is he going to do? He's going to add all these things to you. He says, pursue things above, not things on earth. Pursue things above first. So this is a reoccurring thought throughout the scripture. So my friend, the Bible uh, the Bible says that the one who finds wisdom is happy. The one who holds tight to wisdom is happier. 
we come down to this conclusion wisdom isn't more intellect wisdom is a person wisdom is jesus and in the created order of wisdom he has put rhythm in creation and he says live your life following after that follow jesus and you'll see his wise ways george beverly shea had a hard decision make to make he was weighing the difference between a career choice would he live in new york city and work there in the city doing uh, commercials and singing and live performances or would he seek after the way of god would he pursue a life in ministry and he was seated at the piano there at his family home one day and he started to prepare a hymn that would be sung that day in his father's church for sunday services he had come across a poem written by mrs ray f miller and george beverly shea began to write music to that poem and he would eventually sing that song that he wrote that morning in the service that day but that song became his life purpose it became the map for how he was going to live out his life as he was weighing the decisions to go after the lucrative career in new york city or to pursue the kingdom of god first listen to the words of this song of this great poem and the melody that was written out that day by George Beverly Shea. be 